0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. We as people
1: have very deep-rooted needs. And there's nothing wrong with having these needs. These needs are actually very important as they define who we are and who our God made us to be. We have a deep need to be loved. We have a need to be accepted. We have a need for meaning and understanding in the world that we are a part of, and we have a need for purpose in the life that we have. We have a need for safety and security. We have a need for respect. There are many needs that we have as individuals, and an individual can actually be defined by the degree in which they have or live to try to have certain needs fulfilled, the degree by which they pursue love versus acceptance or whether they pursue acceptance more than love or whether or not people are more interested in having meaning or purpose in their life. Everyone can be defined by the variations in which they live their lives trying to have these needs met, but we all do share these needs. We are just different in terms of how we live our lives trying to have one need met over another need. But again, there's nothing wrong with these needs. We were created by our God to have these needs. The problem is is that we were created by our God in such a way that only he can meet these deep needs that we have within us. And I mean that is a problem because when we are first born into this world we do not know our God, we do not have a relationship with him. We are spiritually dead in the sense that he is not indwelling within us. His life, his presence is not within us as an individual when we are first born into this world, and so we are in a condition where we do not have that which we need in order to function as God created us to function. We have needs that only He can meet, and without Him within us, without Him in our life, there is no way that we can have these needs met. So instead, we go into the world where we go and engage in relationships with other people with the hope and expectation that other people will meet these needs. When in reality, our God created us specifically in such a way that only he can meet these needs. But we, in general, get deceived into believing that others can meet these needs, or we can have these needs met through our engagement with the world. And this is either a belief that we come up with on our own, or we are deceived by someone else to believe these things. But either way, the pursuit of going into the world... To try to find meaning and purpose, love and acceptance, to get our needs met, is an act of sin. It is what leads to sin. It is the very root of sin. It is in seeking fulfillment in the deepest part of our being to fulfill the deep emptiness that is within us that leads us to sin. Now, there's two ways to consider this. There are two ways to consider how this would direct an individual The first way is that this would direct an individual to be what I refer to as a predator. A predator would be an individual who is deliberately and directly going out to other people, believing that these other people exist for the purpose of meeting their needs. That I would consider to be a predator, somebody who is directly going out into the world trying to get their needs met by taking advantage of somebody else, regardless of what the cost is to the other individual, Regardless of that, a predator would want to take advantage of that individual in whatever way they possibly could so that the predator could personally benefit from whatever the individual has or whatever the individual can do for them. That, I believe, is one way that a person can go out into the world trying to get their needs met. Now, in general, in order to be a predator, you have to have a victim. And to victimize someone, you generally have to promise them that they will have their needs met in some way, some need for love or some need for acceptance. In order to be an effective predator, you have to have a victim. And that's the other way that a person can generally go is that instead of living a life of being a predator, they can live a life of being a victim or a combination of the two. I'm just speaking in generalities at the moment. That a person can easily be a victim in this life because they have these needs that they want to have met, and there are many people out there who will promise that their needs will be met by this individual, but when they do not deliver, then the individual who thought they were going to get something, they turn out to be a victim because they don't get what they were promised, either directly or indirectly, either explicitly or implied. And so this is how I can generally categorize individuals as they go out into the world and engage with the world. They can be looked at as a predator or as a victim, one or the other, or a combination of the two, of course. Now, in the world, there are two approaches that a person can take when they go and engage the world beyond just predator or victim, and that has to do with indulgence of the flesh or restraint of the flesh. In both categories, there are predators and there are victims. There are predators and victims who are involved in the pursuit of the indulgence of the flesh, and there are predators and victims who are involved in the pursuit of restraining the flesh. For those who are involved in wanting to indulge the flesh, that's considered to be, in general, the world consumed with sin. That people will go into the world and just simply try to enjoy the world for whatever it can offer. And I mean that in the context of indulging a person's flesh. That our flesh has certain desires for pleasure over pain. And so whatever we do in order to experience pleasure or whatever feels good, that's what we do regardless of what the cost may be, that is what people will generally do in order to try and have their needs met. That is one way that people will do that, by trying to indulge the flesh. And there are people who are predators who go out and try to indulge their flesh, of course, at the expense of somebody else, either through the expense of their labor, or through the expense of their emotions, or through the expense of their feelings or through the expense of their time, or their relationship. There are many ways that people can pursue that predatorially, but to do that, in general, there have to be people who are victims, and that, again, is the other category, where people will subject themselves, give themselves, so that other people can indulge their flesh at the expense of this individual. And this is generally done in the predatorial concept of I will make you feel good if you do certain things for me, and you also will feel good if you do these certain things for me. But it's just the attitude, it's just the approach of the individuals where one person will be deceiving or promising something that will never be delivered, and the other person will believe that what is promised will eventually be delivered. Both of them will experience an indulgence of their own personal flesh and the transaction of the relationship that they have with each other. However, in the end, one person will feel as though they have gained, another person will feel as though they have lost, and that becomes the predator-victim relationship as people are consumed with trying to indulge their flesh. But in the other category of people trying to restrain their flesh, there are also victims and there are predators. Of those who are trying to restrain their flesh, both the predators and the victims operate under a system of law. Whereas those who are trying to indulge their flesh do not really operate under a system of law. Those, on the other hand, who are trying to restrain their flesh do need to have some system of law to define how we are going to restrain our flesh. And in this category, there is again a belief that a need for love and acceptance and meaning and purpose will be met. But again, in order to do that, there has to be the promise, through the restraint of the flesh, according to a system of law, there will be, at some point, an opportunity to be loved or accepted or to have meaning and understanding in the world or purpose for your existence. When people pursue the world in this way, and this is an element of the world, to restrain the flesh just as it is an element in the world to indulge the flesh, When people pursue things in this way, then they can be a victim or they can be a predator. This is best understood in the context of religion. There is a lot of religion in the world, and even though people may not call it religion, because of the definition of how we are going to live our lives by the restraint of our flesh to not necessarily indulge our flesh in the obvious sinful ways, but instead restrain our flesh with the hope and expectation that we will experience benefit by doing so, In this context, this is generally found within religion, and what I mean by religion is I mean a system of rules and regulations, a system of right and wrong in order to restrain our flesh so that other people will accept us because of our behavior, because of our beliefs, or other people will love us because of our behavior or our beliefs, or we will have a frame of reference by which we can understand the world around us that, again, is on the basis of religion. Or we can have a sense of purpose in our life, because our purpose is about being better people in the world that we are a part of. In order to do this, people establish a system of bondage, a system of rules and regulations that people will restrain them by, and I personally believe that this becomes the embodiment or the definition of religion. And there are many people who are willing to subject themselves to a system of bondage, to a form of religion, there are many people who are willing to subject themselves to that with the hope and expectation that their needs for being loved and accepted for safety and security will be met by their participation in a religious structure of some kind. But again, this is sin. This is sin because they are pursuing fulfillment for the very deepest needs that they have within them outside of a personal, intimate, interactive relationship with their God. Instead, they are looking for a personal, intimate, interactive relationship with other people who God has created, believing, again, that other people then exist for the purpose of meeting their own personal needs. And so through either the indulgence of the flesh or through the restraint of the flesh, a person can still be interacting with the world, hoping that their needs can be met. And both categories, of course, are sin. But just as there are people who can be victims in this context, there are people who can be predators in this context. Predators who will establish a religious structure or who will sustain a religious structure or encourage people to participate in a religious structure so that they can personally benefit from the victims who have been promised that the deepest needs in their heart will be met by their participation or activity within the religious structure. And so within religious structures, within the world in this context, there are victims and there are predators. The predators are generally people who are supplying others with an opportunity to have a religious experience, and this either is the pastors, or it is the priests, or it is the ministers who are the leadership of these religious institutions, or they supply the materials or resources so that people can have a religious structure. Either way, people can be looked at as predators in this context, where they are living off of the labor of somebody else who believes that through their labor, or their activity, or their participation, they're going to have needs met, which they never have met. But these other people who are predators believe that they are going to have their needs met by benefiting from what other people are doing within the religious structure of restraining their flesh, or believing that they're going to restrain their flesh. There are people who can personally benefit from this, and the way that they personally benefit from this is generally on a monetary basis. Just like in the other category of the world of people indulging their flesh, there are many people who are predators who benefit on a monetary basis from other people trying to indulge their flesh. There are predators within the religious structure who benefit from people who are trying to restrain their flesh. There are people who participate in these things from a predatorial point of view for the purpose of benefiting and their measure of benefit can generally be described as the monetary return that they are able to obtain from the victims, those people who sincerely believe that they will have their needs met by their participation within the religious institutions. Now, the gospel, of course, is a major threat to both of these aspects. To the category of people who are wanting to indulge the flesh, the gospel is very threatening because it convicts a person of their sin directly. According to the law of God, there is an explicit definition of what sin is, and the pursuit of indulgence of the flesh is definitely sin in a very obvious way, and so the gospel is very threatening to that. But the gospel is also very threatening to those who are wanting to restrain their flesh, because in order to restrain your flesh, you have to have a system of law to live by, and the gospel suggests that there is no law to live by anymore. "...that you can never obtain or sustain your right standing with your God by your repentance and obedience." That is a primary tenet of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is no way that you can obtain a personal interactive relationship with your God through trying to restrain your flesh in any way whatsoever. And so the gospel is extremely threatening to a religious individual because it will take away a person's opportunity to try to get their needs met by restraining their flesh. Instead, a person would have to confess and acknowledge that there is absolutely nothing that they can truly do ever do, from a sacrificial point of view, in order to get right with God or in order to get their needs met, that a person truly has to depend on the grace and mercy of God, completely and wholly, without exception. And so if a person will actually believe the gospel, believe the good news of the Lord Jesus, then they can experience something completely unrelated to everything that I've described before of being a predator or a victim, something completely unrelated, and that has to do with experiencing peace and rest in your own heart, in your own being, through your belief and trust in what the Lord your God has already done for you, what he has already given to you, to now live a life on the basis of being loved, on the basis of being accepted, on the basis of having safety and security, on the basis of having respect and honor from your God, on the basis of having love and acceptance from Him, of having meaning and purpose from Him, this is what a relationship with your God is truly about. The gospel is the good news of the Lord Jesus that because He no longer holds your sins against you and because the living God can now dwell within you as you had been designed to have Him dwell within you, you can now experience Him personally in a living way and through your direct relationship with Him, He will meet the very deepest needs of your heart. So understand that in order to experience this, you do have to step away from a life of indulging the flesh, and you have to step away from a life of trying to restrain the flesh. You have to step away from both of those areas of life in order to enjoy what he has for you, because stepping away from that means that you are truly going to turn to him to meet the very deepest needs of your heart, which he certainly will do if you will only believe and trust in what he's done for you. But from a religious perspective, this is going to be very threatening to both victims and predators. It will be very threatening to those who are victims because you're going to take away the promise of what they thought they were going to get. And from the predator side, you're going to take away how they are benefiting from the victims who are participating in their religious infrastructure. Now in Acts chapter 19, we see that Paul was experiencing this very thing from a religious perspective. When people were beginning to believe the gospel in Ephesus, people were being set free from the indulgence of the flesh and from the bondage of religion. People were truly beginning to turn to the Lord Jesus to experience a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And as a result of that, there were many religious predators who were becoming very agitated and very concerned about losing people because people were experiencing the benefit of having a personal interactive relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so because of that, there were many religious predators who were very, very concerned. And this is described in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 23, where it says, About that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall in disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless And that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. So there were religious predators, described as Demetrius and the craftsmen. There were religious predators who were personally benefiting from the victims, that is, people who believed that through the restraint of their flesh by religious practices, they were going to have the deepest needs of their heart met. These predators were very concerned about their job security. They were very concerned about their prosperity. Because the truth of the gospel is that our lives are not to be lives of trying to build or support temples. That our lives were not to be lives of providing sacrifice either through our service or through our wealth. That instead our lives were to be a life of trust and dependency and enjoyment of peace and rest with the living God. That is what they were concerned about. But please understand that this is an issue, this is a concern that was not real just back then. It is real today. It was real before the time of the Lord Jesus. This is an issue that has plagued humanity ever since humanity has been here. And it will be an issue to continue to plague us for as long as the Lord allows us to enjoy this earth that he created. And so I'm going to say this very directly, that there are many people out there who would best be classified as predators, as religious predators, who sincerely believe that other people, who I would classify as victims, exist for the purpose of providing them with meaning and purpose and a sense of acceptance because of the religious services that they provide individuals, which means that there are religious leaders who sincerely believe that their role in other people's lives is to provide them with an opportunity to restrain their flesh, and by doing so, these predators are taking people away from having a personal interactive relationship with a living God because a living God does not hold any of their sins against them. He's not about having them restrain their flesh or find new ways of living in order to live a better holy life. Our God is here to meet the very deepest needs of our heart. There are many religious predators who sincerely believe that their role in other people's lives is to tell them that their God is not pleased with them, that their God does not accept them until they perform the sacrifices of service or the sacrifices of their wealth. Only then will they come within the boundaries of possibly being accepted by their God. But to say that and to do that means that they have to deny the truth of the gospel, that you, if you are a born-again believer, if you are a child of God, you are already accepted by him, You are already loved by him. He is already pleased with you, certainly not because of what you do or don't do, but because of what he already did for you. And anything that anybody suggests or teaches or promotes that is contrary to that, in my mind, in my perspective, is a predator. And those who support predators such as that are victims. Now, I certainly don't need to name names or accuse anybody specific with regards to what their motives might be or even regardless of their motives, what the end result truly is of the ministry that they believe that they are conducting, it's not necessary for me to try to identify people like that. You yourself can live in dependency on the Lord Jesus, and he can guide you and lead you and direct you with regards to this particular subject. You can truly trust and depend on the Holy Spirit who indwells within you to speak to you and to guide you to lead you and to show you what you are truly confronted with. Honestly, all you really need to do, I believe, is just ask him. Ask him what does he see? What does he believe? What does he understand with regards to the people who are in your life? If you hear anybody say anything that sounds like the church building that you enter within is the house of God or a temple of God or anything like that, that should give you a clue. That should give you a good indication that perhaps you're supporting a religious institution that truly has virtually nothing to do with the real gospel. But then there are other subtle issues, there are subtle ways by which you can discover what you're really supporting. For example, as you grow to understand the grace of God, and as you grow to truly depend on His mercy and His love and His acceptance towards you, as you really grow and mature in that, you're going to find, in most cases, that you're going to become isolated from others who you thought were your brethren. You're going to find yourself subtly isolated, and in many cases at first, people have a hard time figuring out why that seems to be happening. But I'll tell you why. The reason why is because you've got a group of people in general who you are spending your time with, who you are financially supporting, who are truly interested in very different things than you are. For the most part, they're looking to get their needs met through their religious activity. And so when you start getting your needs met from a person and not through the religious activity, then you are no longer going to be considered to be acceptable in that congregation. And when this happens, I think you should really consider what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 when he was speaking to the church. In Acts chapter 20, he spoke to the church in verse 28 where he said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And I can tell you what these perverse things are. These perverse things are very subtle things that gets people to believe that their God is not pleased with them quite yet, that their God is not really accepting them that much quite yet. These are perverse things that take people away from what the Lord Jesus has already done for them. And people do that so that they can draw disciples to themselves. But to do that, they have to draw people away from the Lord Jesus not from other pastors or other ministers. That's not the wolf that Paul is referring to. Paul is referring to a wolf, a person who is teaching people things that takes them away from the Lord Jesus and draws them to be disciples of themselves. That is a wolf. That is a predator. And if you find yourself supporting somebody like that, you're a victim. And I would encourage you to turn away from that person and turn to the Lord Jesus because he is the true shepherd of the flock. Now, of course, there are many subjects that I could speak to you about with regards to how you can evaluate your current situation with regards to whether or not you are a victim. But because I'm out of time, I would just like to refer you to the programs that I have done on the subject of forgiveness, the Sermon on the Mount, and spiritual warfare. If you will listen to these programs, I sincerely believe that you will be able to better evaluate your situation to see if you are actually the disciple of a person or if you truly are a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Again, listen to the programs that I have done on forgiveness, the Sermon on the Mount, and spiritual warfare, and I do believe that these will be of great help to you.